Hey, we are finishing up our series today. Uh, this is the last of our Draw Near to God series. And I hope it has been as blessing for you as it has been for myself uh, during this season. And if you ever want to kind of refresh it, go back and most of our messages are online for you guys to check it out. But um, the series, you know, we, we, we wanted to kind of hit up the important thing about the difference between doing things for God and actually being near to God. Okay? It's a, it's a big difference. Because oftentimes in the religious activity life that we do, we think that I have a relationship with God because I am doing things for God. I am um, serving. I show up to church. I have Bible studies. I have a small group. I'm doing these things. I am uh, partaking in these things. Therefore, I must have a relationship with God because I'm doing all these things for God. And the problem is that we forget that there's oftentimes doing things for God is very different than actually being with God, having a relationship with God. Right? We are trying to grow our spiritual uh, maturity, to grow into true humanity, and that requires not just doing things for God, but also being with God. And there are two consequences for our life, temporary and eternal, if we don't have this reality checked in our hearts. The temporary consequences we have, best case and actually worst case scenario, is that we become hypocritical about this. I think, I think a lot of us, we, we can be okay with the whole Christian thing, but we have a whole problem of being okay with Christian people, right? Because what, what do we see? We see all these, you know, Christians, quote-unquote, they're living their lives, they're proclaiming their truth, they're doing their things, and on the outward, they have all of this form and all of this facade of holiness, spirituality, but yet on the inside, still bitter, still angry, still passive, still lazy, still selfish. There's really no change and transformation happening to their life. You see, if you were an actual believer of God and you were in contact with the living God, it changes the way you think, the way you feel, and the way you act. Everything about you should change. There should be a change in your life, not just an outward change, but an inward change as well. So one of the real tests of whether you know uh, that there is a relationship with God is there actual change that's going on in your heart. Because otherwise, what we create is the perpetual issue of Christian hypocrisy. There is no, the Bible says, this is why the world blasphemes my name. Because of who? Because of you. Because of us. Believers who, with their lips, proclaim that they know God, and yet their heart is so far from God. That's the earthly consequence. Worst case scenario is hypocrisy. But the, and then, but the eternal consequence is this. There will be a day, and I'm a true believer of this, and, I, and, and there's no reason why we have church, is for you guys to understand that God is real. He will not be mocked, okay? There will be a day where you will stand before your God, and you will have to give account for your life before God. And on that day, when you give account for your life before God, you can lay out your resumes and your checklist of all the great things you've done for Him, Serve them, go to church, mission work, blah, 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 fill in the blanks. You will do all these things, and he will look at you, and he says, I have never known you, you workers of lawlessness, be away from me. And I think you understand this. Some of you guys have distant parents, right? Don't raise your hand, but I'm pretty sure a lot of you guys have parents that are distant in your life. And one day, let's say, for example, one day they show up to your life and say, I want to I have... Like, they start expecting these things from you. Start expecting a relationship with you. Start expecting these things with you. And, they're like, I, and you're like, I don't really know you. But I pay your alimony every month. I wrote your birthday card with a check inside of it every year. Right? Didn't I, you know, um, go to your graduation when you graduated? And you're like, a check a year paying to support me Showing up once in my life does not, negate, does not actually mean you have a relationship with me. You do those things thinking that that's a relationship? That, they're not a relationship. You understand this from a very human point of view. 
It's the exact same way when we come to God. Do not, do not be a fool. God will not be marked. You will have to stand before God one day and give account of your life with him. And on that day, you can throw out the best resume possible of all the things you did and did not do. And it comes down to this. Did you actually have a relationship with Jesus? This whole series is about that. This whole series is about cultivating the inward relationship, not the outward actions. The outward actions will happen when the inward things is there. You follow? And my hope and my prayer is that as we've gone and, and gone through this series, that you kind of start having this gut check in your life. Real gut check here. Not just kind of like, you know, pass it through, okay, whatever, I'll work on it later. But actually have a real gut check because, again, God will not be mocked. You will have to give account before him one day. And I've talked a lot about different things. This is, these things that we've talked about are important. They have huge significance for your life, eternal significance and temporal significance. So the real question is, how do I begin to develop this relationship with God? How do I draw nearer to God in my life? How do I begin to have the rhythm of my life that I'm cultivating an actual connection to the Father? We talked about a lot of different things. Uh, trying to decide whether I should review it or not. Some of you guys are like, no, don't do it. Don't. If anyone could actually tell me what I said for the past seven weeks, I won't, I won't review. Yeah? Yeah, that's what I thought. Right? Jesus! Jesus! We talked a lot. I mean, I, I put it on the notes. Um, if you guys uh, put it up there, the QR code. These are the seven points that we reviewed, um, talked about. These are what it takes to build this relationship so much that you are connected to God, okay? I won't go over it for the sake of uh, time-wise, but this final message is this today, is that in your life, in your life, you got to have a conscious plan in developing your spiritual life, a rule of life for your spirituality. Can, can I tell you something? Oftentimes we live off the spirituality of another person, don't we? of our leader, of our teacher, maybe our salt guys. We live off their spirituality, okay? Rather than taking the time of developing a direct experience with God. Isn't that so funny? You, you rather live off of the experience of another than to actually develop the personal experience with God yourself. Everything I've taught you, everything I've shared with you, everything I've declared before you in the word of God is up here. It's in your mind. I know you get it. I know you guys are not dumb. You guys are all graduates now, right? You guys have a degrees. You're not, you're not doctors in these houses. We, I know you're not dumb. You get it in the brain. But what connects the mind to the heart is whether the question is, is Jesus really that important to me or not? Do I realize my insignificance in this world? Do I realize that I actually need something more? Until this becomes this, there's going to be no change. But for this, here, so let's say you get it. I, say, I get it, PT. I feel shame. I feel guilt all the time for not living up to what I think God wants me to do. I don't know how to do that. To go from heart to life is what? It's discipline. All it is, it's like everything else. To go from a heart to actually living it out into the reality of your life, it takes discipline. It takes rules. It takes things. When you go work out for the first time, you don't tell someone, hey, go ahead, be a man, lift two plates. You can't do it, you're not a man, right? You, 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 can't, you can't tell someone to do that. That's ridiculous. They'll get hurt. They'll get injured. They'll probably give up and never go again. If you really want someone to develop this, you got to start what? Start slow. And then move up. You got to have a rule of life. A lot of us, we talk about prayer. We talk about prayer. I'll pray for you. Oh, something that's happened, I'll pray. But you don't actually pray. You actually might even tell someone else to pray for them. Like, oh, Pray for so-and-so, because I'm, I, I, I'm totally going to forget to pray. So, you know, you being holy, you, you pray for them instead. <laughs> a lot of us, we talk about, you know, we believe that the Bible is the word of God, but we have little idea what it says. Isn't that true? We barely even open it. Last night, I had a family ministry. It's a really cute story. Family ministry. Uh, so we, uh, some of the families and the couples, we come and we have a conversation about what does it look like to be a father, a mother, 
a husband and a wife, how to raise our children, how to live before God. And uh, one of the kids, and the, so because of that, we have a bunch of kids running around. It's like my house is like crazy. It's like wildfire in there, right? All the kids running around. But then this one little girl, it's so cute. Her name was uh, Faith, Faith, one of the three, uh, three sisters, right? She came up to me afterwards, like, PT, PT. I was like, what? I have a question. She's like, what? I'm afraid of hell. I'm like, like how old are you? Like, like why are you even talking about this? She's like, I'm afraid. It's like, okay, why? Because I'm afraid I'm going to go there. I'm like, oh, so you should be afraid. Right? <laughs> you should be afraid. And she says, what am I supposed to do? I said, come here, come here. I have a secret for you. Right? I know how to get out. She's like, what? She ran over. I said, I whispered to her. It's very simple. John 3, 16. She's like, what is that? I said, that's the secret. Like, how am I supposed to know what it is? What's John 3, 16? Ask your mom. She'll tell you. Right? It's a secret. So she runs over to mom. She's like, mom, I know how to get out. She's like, how? John 3.16. Right? And the mom was like, what? I was like, John 3.16. He says, you know. Right? And then, she, and then the mom looked at me and she's like, open the Bible. Just read it. Right? <laughs> so she's like, okay. So she opened the Bible. She'd be like, John 3.16. And I think you guys know this one, right? For God so loved the world. Basic, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And the little girl was like, that's the answer? Jesus? Yes, it's always the answer. It's always the answer. See, a lot of us, we, 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 we talk about knowing the Bible or believing that the word of God, but how many of us actually opens that word and, and read it? And if we can be honest, our, our, our current spiritual practices that we have now is not really bringing us closer to a relationship with God, is it? A Sunday service, Bible study on a weekday. That's, that's nowhere near enough to cultivate a real relationship with a living God. And this series is really about that, cultivating a real relationship with this living God, changing and being healthy from the inside out. Not just focusing on the outside and what you do and what do you not do, but focusing what's happening on the inside. And today I want to share with you the practice in developing the spiritual consistency, a rule of life. And this is not something I just came up with. This is something that's been practiced throughout the Christian life from, the, uh, from, from church fathers to Christian monks to uh, saints of old. They, they've practiced this rule of life. We all have rules of, rules of life. You wake up, you know you don't walk out of the house naked. That's a rule, right? That's just a natural, basic rule. Put on some clothes, right? You know you wake up, you got to brush your teeth. No one wants to be smelling your funky breath, right? You have a basic rule of life that you know how to live physically. We gotta, you got to go to work, no work. You, get, you can't pay your bills. You get kicked out of the house. There's basic rules of life that you live. And just as there are basic rules of life for the physical life that you have, there are also rules of life for your spiritual life to cultivate a growth in you. And a rule is what? Is rule is something that you, is, these are not things that you, it's not like a, um, a New Year's resolution that you kind of ascribe, like I kind of want to do that. You don't wake up in the morning like, I kind of maybe will put on some clothes today, right? A rule of life is that I'm going to do this. This is just, it's understood. It is natural. It is part of my life. It is part of the rhythm. A rule of life for your spiritual cultivation, your spiritual direct experience with God is something that you will say, it is as important to me as breathing itself. It is as important to me as eating when I am hungry. It is as important to me as getting rest when I'm tired. It is as important to me as going to work and taking care of my family. It is as important. You have to develop a rule of life that connects you and directs, you, your, directs your relationship to God. You guys follow? You got to develop this rule of life in the world that we live. And we're going to learn, we're going to revisit the life of Daniel as a case study for this. And we're going to see how Daniel resisted the enormous power of the nation that he was trapped into. He was not some sort of monk living in some sort of like, you know, like temple. He was in the midst of a very tyrant nation, working for a tyrant king, being forced to do things that he didn't probably not want to do. And yet in the midst of that, 
60 years of living in that place, he stayed true and honest before God. How did he do that? And the answer was he had a rhythm to his life, a rule that he kept. Unspoken, right? But it's there. You can draw it out from the Word. So we're going to open our Bibles, and we're going to check it out today. Daniel chapter 1. What do you need in your rule of life? What do you need in your rule of life to develop and strengthen, experience this relationship with God? Daniel chapter 1. Let's bow our heads. Let me pray for us before we get started. Lord, I want to thank you for the series that you have taken us on. I thank you for all the brothers and sisters who are here today. Lord, as we, as we listen, Holy Spirit, come and stir the hearts. Stir the heart of, the, of those in whom you have made in your image, whom you love and whom you have drawn here to listen to your word proclaimed, to listen to what you have to say unto them. Father, I pray, Lord, have mercy on me. And worthy as I am to give this message, Father, I ask that I will be used as a vessel for your glory and for your kingdom. I pray these things in your name. Amen. All right. Daniel, Daniel had a rule of life. I want you guys to understand this, the story of Daniel is a, is a very powerful story, okay? It's a very powerful story. If anyone had an issue with life, it would be Daniel. It would be Daniel. He wrote this about 60 years after he's been trapped in exile in Babylon. Okay? Babylon was a nation that did what for him? Forced him to change his identity. He was no longer allowed to be who his culture tells him he is. He has to be some new culture. He has to take up some new identity. He has to take up some new name. Daniel in Babylon had to deny his God-given gender. He was castrated. If you think your life is difficult, as a follower, you have not been castrated yet, okay? He was castrated. He's no longer allowed to have a marriage, children, sex. None of that thing was, it was, it was, it was open for him. He was somebody who had to, he was indoctrinated into the culture, into the system. He learned the education. He got caught up in the storylines. He got caught, caught up in the, um, the, the cultural information that was given to him. He, was, he had to learn all those things. And on top of that, Daniel had to work and be forced to work under an ungodly, uh, ungodly king. If you thought some of our presidents were bad, okay? Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon's goal in life was what? This is not a movie. His goal in life was world domination. Like actual world domination. He wanted to rule the world. And he was going to kill everybody and subdue everyone until everybody bowed to him. And Daniel had to work for this tyrant. He, in this midst, never lost his place, though. Never lost his identity and never lost his relationship with God. Sixty years living in this situation. Never lost it. Why? Because he had a rule of life. So what do you need in this rule of life? Sixty years. You recognize as Daniel writes this story right here. He begins, chapter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, that's one of the king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the artifacts from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. And so what we begin to see here is that 60 years later, Daniel writes this book for posterity's sake, for the sake of his people, and the one thing he recognized first and foremost was what? Nebuchadnezzar didn't just show up as some part of history and did this work. What did he say in verse 2? The Lord delivered Jehoiakim to Nebuchadnezzar. The Lord delivered, the Lord delivered Jehoiakim into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. What was he saying here? A rule of life is you have to have a bigger reality of your God. He has to be the thing that is in control of your life. Sixty years, Daniel lived in this messed up nation. 
this tyrant nation, this oppressive nation, this broken system, this gender-creating, class-destroying destroying system. And what did he do? He stayed true to his God because the first thing and foremost, he recognized that God is sovereign over all things. Not his ambition, not his work, not his plans, not the system, not the country, not the government. God is the one who is sovereign. God was the one that delivered his people into the hands of this tyrant. Why did he do that? Why did God do that? If, you have, if, you're, if you're new here and you're wondering in the Bible, like, why did God do that? That's so messed up, right? I got to give you a real quick history lesson for, God, for God's people here, okay? So hang in there. The people, the Israelites, the Jewish people, were, they were God's chosen people. He called them sons. He called them daughters. He says, you are mine. I will bless you. I will keep you. I will protect you. You just have to trust me. I know that I'm going to give you these laws, and you're going to think to yourself, why are you giving us these laws? Why? It is to separate you from the world around you, but more importantly, I am giving you these commandments not to make your life miserable. I am giving you these commandments to actually flourish your life if you would trust me. If you would trust me. See, I think a lot of Christians, we like, we look at the scripture and we look at the Bible and you're like, I don't like that because God tells me don't have sex. He never said don't have sex. He says just don't have sex with anyone else besides your wife or your husband. He's like, why is, why is he denying me a pleasure? Don't, don't do this. Don't do, it's always a negative command. God is saying, look, for every negative command I give you, I'm pointing you to something better and I'm keeping you away from something bad. Can you imagine, Seth, I tell Seth, don't put that fork in the socket. Why are you trying to stop me from having fun, Dad? Don't put that fork in the socket. Like, but it's fun, right? I like to feel the, the tingle, right? Don't put the fork in the socket. What am I doing? It sounds sound funny, but I'm, I'm keeping, I was like, you can use the fork for the cake. You can use the fork to eat. You can use the fork to, I don't know, Make a toy out of it. I don't care, right? Just don't put a fork in the socket. I'm keeping you, I'm, I'm giving you a negative command to keep you what? From killing yourself, one, right? Because you will, because you don't see it. But two, I'm giving you position to do something better with the fork, right? And so we, we understand this naturally. And so we come before God. And so here is God. God is saying, you are my people, Israel. Uh, Israel, the Jew, Jews, you are my people, you are my nation, you are my, I love you, I want you, I want you to flourish, I've given you these things to help you, and what did they do? They chose to reject it. They chose to not trust in their God. They chose to walk away. They chose to not believe in his character. They chose not to believe in authority. They chose not to believe in his word. They rejected God, and God said, I will have to wake you up. I'm going to have to wake you up because right now you're lost, you're asleep, and you have no idea the huge, huge destruction you're going into. I'm going to have to wake you up. And so what does God do? He says, I'm going to bring the land, Nebuchadnezzar, to basically exile all of you from this promised land. And Daniel recognized 60 years later, writing this book, my God has always been in control. It wasn't this tyrant king that was in control. It wasn't this, my God is the one that has always been sovereign. He is the one that's directing all these steps. He is for me, not against me. The rule of life that he began to have is to recognize that God is sovereign over all things. And therefore, I need him more than all things. Until you recognize that for your life, until you recognize how incapable, how inept, and how lost you really are without him, you're never going to be able to find a place where you're going to be free and true. You're going to be caught up in this cycle of chasing over and over, of constant destructing, destruction, jumping from one thing to another, one system to another, one cultural trend to another, one um, mass to another, one woke idea to another. You're going to be constantly running and chasing after all these things. One job to the next, one girlfriend to the next girlfriend, one boyfriend to the next boyfriend, because for some reason, it's never enough. But you think it is, because you want to be in control. You want to call the shots. You want to be the one that says, I know better. And if I was in your place, God, I would do better. And God says, no, you will not. You got to trust me. 
I'm actually for you, not against you. And so here we see Daniel 60 years later writing this, recognizing what? It was the Lord that delivered Jehoiakim into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. God needed, Daniel needed God in a world that he's been exiled to, a world that sought to separate Daniel from God. The world that he lives in is a hundred times worse than the world that we live in. Okay, we're actually moving closer to it, but it was pretty bad. Okay? And like I said, it made him change his name, his identity. Can you imagine that you're, you're no longer where you came from. You're no longer your, your culture, heritage. Get rid of all of that. You are only this now. Daniel, he denied his God-given gender. You're not a man. You're not a woman. This is what you are. Right? You're a servant. You're a pawn in my house. You do what I tell you. Indoctrinated him. Put him into a whole system of education to learn these things. It forced him to ungodly labor. He had to work for a king he did not want to work for. And Daniel recognized that it was the God that runs this world, not the tyrant king, not his own ambition. Therefore, what? I need to submit this life to him. It's going to be a season, guys, where you're going to finally run and you're going to get tired. Some of you guys are here because you're running and you're tired. You're thinking, hopefully, maybe I can meet my God. I'm here to tell you, he's ready to meet with you. Why else would you need a rule for your life if not for the fact that you begin to recognize how desperately empty your life really is? I mean, you try to fill it up with a lot of things. Work, money, relationship, degrees, children, husband, wife. And what happens? They play their course, they do their thing, but, and you're excited for a little bit. They always do that. You're, you, they, they're fun for a little bit, and yet after a while, the same old thing sets in. I'm empty. There's something missing. Your identity is shot. You, take all, you put all these masks on. I am what I do. I've done all these things. I still don't feel like I'm, I've made it anywhere. I am what I have. I have all of these things. A house, a car, a beautiful wife, a beautiful, hu a handsome husband. I still feel like something's missing. I am what people think of me. Everyone respects me. Everyone loves me. Everyone thinks I'm great. But why is it still that in my heart there is an emptiness that I cannot point to? Why am I still chasing and never satisfied? Why am I still comparing and trying to climb some sort of ethereal ladder? Why? Because in your heart of heart, the breath of life that's in you is crying out and saying what you need is your God who has made you. You need him, not these things. The rule of life is that you take into direct connection to God that you were made to have relationship with him. You got to have a bigger reality of God. Because listen, if you know you have a bigger reality of God, what's the, what's the common uh, thing that we say nowadays for people who are working? All you guys working, I have no time, right? I have to work. I have no time. There's so much stuff to do. I have no time. I'm so tired. Do you know how a bigger reality of God does that? It changes that? Do you recognize that if I would trust God and just rest? You know rest is a command in the Bible? It's not a suggestion, right? Rest, an actual rest is a command in the Bible. You know, if I, if I rest, if I decide that I want to obey God, and rest as a pastor, I will probably be fired, right? If I actually disobey God and not rest, I will probably get promotion. Because we, we live in a world that dictates us by what we do, and yet the command of God is to trust me and rest. If you trust me and you would rest, honor my Sabbath, honor this rest where you are encountering me, I promise you I will get you to get done in six days what you needed seven days to do, what you think you needed seven days to do, if you're willing to rest. One of the rules of life I have when it comes to knowing that God is bigger than my work as a pastor, I used to really, you know, I'm, I, I, I used to have this um, pastor's confession, a, a workaholic mentality. I still have a workaholic mentality, right? But it's the idea where if I'm not around, things are going to fall apart, right? 
the world is going to crumble at this church if I'm not there, right? And you're thinking, that's dumb, PT. But that's reality, okay? I'm just broken that way. That's what I thought. And some of you guys think the same way. If I don't do this, everything's going to go haywire. One of the rules of life I developed in my heart, putting God as the bigger reality is what? To recognize that God is in control of my work. I'm not the one that's going to fix this stuff. God is, right? So my rest is Tuesday night to Wednesday night, okay? And you know what I do during my rest time? Do my, do my, I know you guys are thinking, please don't tell us you're going to just read the Bible for 24 hours. That's horrible. No, I don't do that for my rest time, right? Rest is supposed to be enjoyable, not, right? It's supposed to be enjoyable. Sometimes, I'm not going to lie, I mean, I, forgive me, Lord. Right? Sometimes, you know, like reading it all the time, it gets kind of like, I don't know. But you're allowed to enjoy your rest. God wants you to enjoy the creation in which he has brought you into. You know what I do Tuesday night? I just watch TV. And I just, I just turn it on. I give thanks to God while I watch. He's like, Lord, thank you. Thank you that I have to sign it in my house. I don't have to deal with anybody right now. That I've really turned off my phone. If, if anyone calls, I'm not picking up, especially from church. I'm just, I'm just going to watch whatever is on. Right? I wake up in the morning, first thing I do as I rest, is I spend my time with the Lord. I do have my time with God. I open my Bible, I read, I connect, I bring him in, I invite him into my presence, into my day. Especially because it's Wednesday, my wife is off, and we go pick up my son. And usually Wednesday we, we, hang, we hang out at the park, because his, his school is right next to the park, so he goes out to the park, and I'm out there. But I'm not just like sitting there being brain dead. I'm just, I'm enjoying nature. I'm enjoying the, the trees, the shade, the wind, the sun, right? I'm enjoying the thing that God has created. You know, and as I'm trying to like play with my kid and shooting a basketball and I realize my body is so stiff and I can't make a basket, I thank the Lord that I can still walk, right? That I can still move. And all this time, you know, I, I remember eight years back, I would, I would not do that. You know what I would be doing the whole time? I'll be on the phone, checking my email, Right? Answering messages, thinking, I need to get this done. I need to fix this. Because if I don't fix this, everything's going to die today. The world's going to blow up today. You know what that, re- what that tells you? What, what, what that should reveal to your heart? You don't really trust God. And God's not big enough in your life. Because the only thing that's biggest, the biggest thing in your life is your own mindset. You become the center of your world. Right? After I pick up my son, my wife and I, we go home. She goes to sleep with the littlest one. I play with the youngest, or the oldest, Seth. We play board games, or sometimes he'll play some music, and I'll just sit there. And sometimes we read a book, and I'll fall asleep with him, right? Wake up, family dinner, enjoy. And then, around 10 o'clock, back to work, right? Click on my thing, and start answering emails again. What am I saying here? I'm saying a lot of us, we have this notion, yeah, God is big. I trust him. He's so great. Do you? Do you trust him enough that he can do for you in six days what you really believe you need seven days to do? Do you, do you really believe that God is big enough, that he is bigger than your circumstances, that he is the one that he's actually going to be with? He wants to flourish you, not to hurt you. All right? How is your actual life with the Lord. So the first rule, very simple, have a bigger reality of God. Daniel looked back after 60 years and he realized what? God is sovereign. Everything I have been through, even being exiled to a foreign nation, even working under a tyrant king, even having to endure through this crazy world of Babylon, my God has always been in control. My God has always been here. He has always been with me. He is sovereign through these things. I need him more now than I've ever needed him before. He is the only thing that matters. When you trust your God enough like that, when you hold him like that enough, then you don't worry about the very things that you, that, that you go through in life. You hold fast to the one who holds these things. Right? But the second thing, what do you need in your rule of life? Make your work a God issue. Look at verse 3 and 5. So here we are. The Lord has delivered 
Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into Nebuchadnezzar's hand. And then verse 3, the king ordered, and this is Nebuchadnezzar, Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude of every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. So this is a, this is a job um, recruiting uh, training phase, right? Nebuchadnezzar is smart. He realized he's going to conquer the world, world domination. He can't watch everyone at the same time. So what does he do? He's going to take the youngest and the brightest of each of those nations, the easiest to mold and, and the easiest to indoctrinate. He's going to take from each of those generations, and he's going to pull them into his place. He is going to indoctrinate them into the culture, into the reality of this new nation, and they are now going to be the representative to their nations. But they're going to represent who? Me, the king. No longer, I'm going to separate everything about their culture from them, everything about the reality of their God from them. I'm going to destroy them internally so that they will be filled now with all the lies and all the truth that I want to give to them. That was Nebuchadnezzar's plan, right, to all the nations that he conquered. But he did not know that the Israelites, they serve a true God, not a false God. A living God, not some random deity made of stones and woods and rocks and wood. They served a living God. And so Daniel, Daniel, what does he do? He wasn't going to let that happen. Look at verse 8. We'll get back to verse 6 in a little bit. Verse 8. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now, God had caused the official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my lord, the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Right? So Daniel said, look, I want my life. I want the work that I'm going to do and what I'm going to come out of this. I want it to reflect my God, not this king. I want to know that... I am surviving, and I'm going to make it, not because I followed what this guy is telling me, but because I trusted what my God is telling me. And so what I'm saying, what Daniel was saying to the fish, he was like, can I eat my own food, meaning vegetables? Daniel went vegan, okay? Homeboy went vegan just for the sake of showing that he can make it without the King Nebuchadnezzar. Because right? the king did what? He was going to give these guys the best food. Steak, lamb, whatever, right? Feast of each day, wine, whatever they needed to, to nourish themselves, to, to, uh, to, to brainwash them, thinking to, to helping them realize, oh, this king is good to us. He's giving us all these great things. He's providing all of this stuff. He's giving us the nutrients. He's giving us the, nur- the, the flourishing. He's giving us this thing to sustenance to, to help us live and to actually do well. He's giving us choice food. We should respect, we should love, we should honor the king, Nebuchadnezzar. And Daniel said, no, 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 no. This is a God issue for me. This is a God issue for me. I will not respect a tyrant king who's going to rule over the world. What I will do, though, is I will trust my God. That even if I eat only vegetables, I will turn out better than all these guys, okay? And the guy was like, I'm not sure that's a good idea, man. Vegetables, vegan, not a good idea, right? For anyone who is vegan out there, I'm sorry. I know you guys are very good, right? But I love me. All right, verse 11. Then Daniel said to the guard, whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Meshach, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. And so he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. And at the end of 10 days, they looked healthier Better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. And so, guard, so, the God, so the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them only vegetables instead. One of the rules of life is this. Make your work a God issue. Make your work a God issue. He saw what he was going to do, not just a payday, not just a retirement plan, not just money so he can line his pockets, not just survival so he can live 
in this new land, he saw his work and everything that he was about to be a part of as a God issue. God was essential and reality of his life, so the training process that he was going to undergo is going to have God for it. He was going to say, God is the one that's going to provide for me. God is the one that's going to watch out for me. God is the one that I'm going to trust in him, not in this king. That was his central rule to his heart. I will hold fast to my God. His work, even though it was the one he didn't want, right? It's the one he's been given, and he was going to do everything he can to honor God in that. He put himself in a vegan diet. He went the long way around, worked extra hard just in order to say the one true thing, God provided for me, not you. I listen to God alone, not you. It is the God that dictates my steps, not this culture, not this government, not these people. You guys hear what I'm saying? The second rule of life that was part of ingraining in Daniel's life, that he did not shake from, was very simple. He made work a God issue. You guys realize, all of you guys are working, one job or another, or will work, one job or another. And some of us, you like to separate work from faith, work from life. But the reality, I'm not telling you that you have to like, every client you meet or everything you do, somehow encode Jesus in there somewhere, right? I'm not saying for you to like, you know, uh, plaster his face on your wall in your office room or, you know, like every um, transaction you make say Jesus love. I'm not saying any of that stuff. What I am saying is this. Ask the question of your life. How is my work honoring God? How is what I'm choosing to do in my education, in my trajectory, in my planning, how is it honoring God? How do I centralize this thing to make my work honor you? And that this goes across the board, guys. One of the one of the one of the the, the rule of life I have it came out after like a couple of years ago, right? During COVID, was this? I said before God, Lord, I'm never going to close this, this 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 building off again, right? No one has to come, but these doors will never close again. We can do it online, but I will be here. Because the people need you. They need to be with each other. And I get it. There's a lot of things. We can make a lot of cases. We can argue a lot of points. That's my rule of life. Before my God. To honor him, first and foremost. To be safe, to be wise, to be smart, of course. But to honor him what I do. What is your rule of life? Doctors? Lawyer? Actually, we don't have any lawyers here. Right? So why don't you guys be a lawyer so we can say we have a lawyer here. Right? Doctors, teachers, educators, drug dealers. Come on, guys. Right? Help me. Right? One of our girls just graduated from pharmacy. I'm sorry. Right? What is your rule of life when it comes to your work? Will you make it a God issue? Will you bring the honor of God into... I'll tell you a story. I'll tell you a quick story about uh, one of my favorite stories. One of our brothers a long time ago, he's, he did a training program for this job. And this job, pretty much the, 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 the job uh, requirements that he had to lie to his clients in order to get clients, right? The, one of the training process that they put him into was learning how to lie to your clients in order to get information from your clients in order to get more clients. That was the job. And he, was, he had an issue with that. He's like, I mean, I was kind of surprised he had an issue with it, but he had an issue with it. He said, like, I have an issue with this. I'm like, really? Are you? He's like, yes. I said, okay, right? So what do I do? I said, what does your conscience tell you? I said, I don't know, right? So that's why you're here. I was like, I'm going to tell you, not, don't do it. So well, what if I don't get the job? I'm like, well, you, you trust God, you trust his job, right? He says, I don't know, man. This, this is hard, you know, like my life's on the line, you know, like, I need, I need to pay for bills and have a house and all that. I mean, what am I going to do? I'm going to get married. I said, up to you, man. You make the call. Right? Are you going to honor God or are you going to listen to the voice of this group? And you know what he said? He said, fine. 
when the training process happens during that training period, I'll just pretend to use the restroom for an hour, right? And I'll come back out. I was like, I was like, okay, good luck, right? <laughs> I, I think he's gonna do it, but he, so he did it. He actually did it, right? Actually, I was like, wow, right? And, and actually, I prayed for him during this. I said, Lord, I know this is a hard decision for him, and if he's actually gonna go through it, Lord, would you encourage him by making him realize that this is for you and that you will honor that? He ended up being, I think, in the history of that company, the best junior. Uh, training trainee ever, right? Even if he skipped that whole and whole huge training process that was compromising to his uh, apparently moral integrity at that time, right? right? What are you going to do to honor God? When your company tells you to lie, what are you going to do? When the company offers you huge money to work on Sundays, to be away from community, to actually just, just to be so busy that you can't even show up to church anymore. What are you going to do? What are you going to do when, when school tells you, you know what, there's so many projects, it's better that you just, just for this season, just don't show up to anything. Just focus on this. Don't worry about God. He'll be there around still. What are you going to do? What will you do? One of the rules of Daniel's life was what? He made everything a God issue. In the very depth of his heart, he made everything a God issue. Because why? He recognized that without God, he would have nothing. So if he's going to honor anyone, he's going to honor the one who has made all things. Because if he loses everything here, at least he still has him. See, we focus so much on gaining everything on this earth, and we're willing to sell our soul for it. Can you not? Thirdly, one of the rules of life that came out of this, what do you need in your rule of life? You need a bigger reality of God. You need to make your work a God issue. And thirdly, you need to develop a crew. Right, look, yeah, I said that right. I develop a crew. Right, not a gang, a crew, okay? Verse 6 to 7. Among these were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names to Daniel, named Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. Right? You got to develop a crew, a community, a God-honoring relationship. Can I tell you something very true? Your friend determines your future. This is, this is not even like biblical. This is reality. Your friends determine your future. You find yourself in a, in, a, in a crew of people that is driven in one way, that's your future. You find yourself in a crew of people that's driven this way, that's your future. Your friend determines your future. And so Daniel recognized that he's going to be alone in this new world as an exile. He needed his community, he needed his crew before he had his crisis. He had three buddies. Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. These guys were in the same situation as him. They understood what was going on. They had the same big picture of God. To them, to them, they made everything a God issue. And what happened? These were the guys that were around when crisis hit. These were the guys that they turned, they turned to each other when crisis hits. A lot of us, and a lot, I'm telling you, a lot of people out there, you guys may not realize this, when crisis hits, you have no idea who to turn to. And a lot of times you just end up just kind of just sticking it out on your own. Trying to like, you know, I guess I'm, the, I'm, I'm, I'm alone here in this situation. All the friends that you thought was around end up being like, ah, I can't really help you, sorry, sorry, sorry. But when crisis hits, you need your crew. God-honoring, God-fearing relationship, a community, people who will speak truth into your life, who will tell you maybe things that you don't want to hear, because oftentimes you, are, you have a blind spot to these things. You know why it's God-honoring relationship? Because if you only find people around you that acts like you, think like you, deal things with you, you will, you will always get them to agree with what you want them to agree to. But you have people who honor God, who loves God, who loves you because they love God. They will always tell you something that is good for you, but they may not be what you want to hear, but they will always tell you what's right. You need a crew before you need a crisis. People who you can turn to when situations like this happens. In the Bible, in, in the book of Daniel, chapter 2, we see a crisis comes up for these four guys, okay? 
What was the crisis? Very simple. The king, he's a tyrant, world domination. He has all this power. He can do whatever he wants. He had a bad dream. Homeboy had a bad dream. And so he said this, I want someone to interpret my dream and tell me what it means. So all of these people that he's gathered all these years from all different nations, they're like, okay, yeah, no problem. Just tell us your dream. We'll interpret it for you. He says, no, I want you to tell me what my dream is and also interpret it for me. And all these people are like, that's an unreasonable king. Like, who can figure out what you dreamed about? It's like, you guys are magicians. You're sorcerers, right? You do this for a living. Tell me what my dream is and interpret it for me. And if you don't, I'm going to kill all of you. And so everyone went in a panic. All these people just panicked, freaked out, lost their way, running around with the head, with, with the head cut off like a chicken. Uh, running off like a, with a, like a chicken with the head cut off, right? But Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, and Daniel did what? Say, guys, we have to pray because um, we're going to get killed if this doesn't happen. So they gathered together, brothers, brothers in arms in the room, and they just cried out to God. said, Lord, if you brought us here to die, okay, we'll, we'll accept that. But, Lord, if you want us to live, and this is a journey that you're taking us on, then, Lord, you have to be the one to tell us what this dream is. And they prayed and they prayed. And Daniel was given the gift of dream interpretation. It's a real gift, by the way. And so what happened? Daniel said, I know the, I know the dream. We got this, guys. We're going to make it, right? Came out. And all these, like, sorcerers and magicians in all of these countries, they're like, they're freaking out, like, we're going to die, we're going to die. Like, Daniel's like, relax, breathe. I got this. Walks up to the king, interprets the dream for the king. Then what happens? The king said, the spirit of God must be in this man and with all of you guys. I will spare your life. Saves the day, Daniel. Because Why? When crisis happened, he had a crew. He wasn't alone. You need a community, brothers. You need a community, sisters. Chapter 3, another crisis came up. So the king, again, crazy tyrant, built a huge gold statue and tell everyone, when you hear trumpets, bow down and worship it. Everybody. If you don't, I'll kill you on the spot. Again, he, this guy is all about killing, okay? I'll kill you on the spot. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel's friend, were like... Yeah, we don't, we don't bow to anyone. Nope, sorry, right? No, 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 you will bow or, we will, or you will die. Yeah, even if you throw us in the fire, we will not bow. And so what happens? Trumpet goes off, everyone, all the nations, like a, like a huge like a wave, bows down, worship the statue. Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego stood. Now you have to imagine, it was probably not easy for them to stand. They probably needed each other. Hey, look. Don't go down, all right? If you go down, I might be tempted to go down too, all right? You too. Don't go down, all right? We'll all stand together, ride and die, okay? Literally. We will die together for this, for the name of our God. And so imagine if both, if two of them dropped, right? If, if that guy was just like, oh, maybe I should go down too, right? It's possible. Why do you need a crew? You need a crew because there will be times in your life where you're going to have crisis, you're going to have to have these relationships in your life to help you weather those crises, weather those storms in a way that flourishes and strengthens you, not destroy you. And you're going to have to have a crew because there will be days when you will falter and you will waver in your direction and your walk with the Lord. You need somebody around you to say, keep going. Don't get lost. I'm with you. I'm for you. A rule of life of developing real relationships, honoring relationships. So the real question, and one of the rules of life that you need to be thinking about for yourself is, do I have these relationships in my life? Are you a lone wolf? I can make it on my own, right? I got this. You probably can. You probably have enough skills to do that. But I promise you, there will come a day where crisis will happen. Death in the family. Cancer breakup, bankruptcy, loss of a job, right? Children hurt. There's going to be something in your life where you have no control over. You're still young, so we still believe that we, we can rule the world, but there will be a day you will hit a crisis. Divorce in the family, you're going to need a crew to come alongside you, to walk with you. One of the rules of life I have for relationship is very simple, you know. Salt guys, all my salt brothers get the, the schedules first. Right? If I schedule everything in the year, their schedule is first. Right? Secondly, 
my two boys, intentionality with raising them. And third, lately it's been uh, building better relationship with our fathers in our churches. We need better fathers in this house. All right? You gotta have places where you can stand with each other. You know, dads and husbands, we're gonna face issues all the time with our families. We're gonna be able to say, hey, look, I, I wanna give up. You need, you need good brothers around to say, yeah. bad guys around you will be like, yeah, dude, walk away from that lady. She is messed up, she's crazy, right? Good brothers will say what? Hey, you made a vow. You stick to this. We'll walk you through it. I'll send my wife, she'll talk to your wife, right? We got to stick to this together. You need a crew before you have a crisis. You guys get me? All right? And lastly, last one. This is from chapter 6, verse 10. All right? One of the rules of Daniel's life for 60 years was his daily office with the Lord. Now, we talked about daily office. Daily office is a time that we spend with God. A daily office with the Lord. And what we see here is, and real fast, this is a quick story is when, you know, all the people that Daniel worked with, they were jealous of Daniel because Daniel did his work with excellence. He did his work to honor God. He made everything a God issue. So he makes sure that everything he did, he honored God because he knew that God is sovereign over all these things. And so he did that. And because he lived his life that way for 60 years, people knew that he didn't take any bribes. He didn't, he didn't cut corners. He, he did his work to the best of his ability. And they were just being lazy they took the bribe, and he said, you know what? He's making us look bad. Let's get him out. Let's take him out. The only way we can take him out, let's make a law, forces him not to worship his God anymore. Let's see if he'll do it, because we know he does this. We know that he prays to his God every day. Check this out in verse 10. So now Daniel, when he learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem, and three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Three times a day, he had always done this, having this office with God. And they knew that. That's why they knew that they can get him out from this. They, they, they can, they can uh, trap him in this. One of the rules of Daniel's life was that God was not an accessory to his life. God was central to his life. He invited God into the daily times. Now, listen, guys. I'm not telling you guys to spend an hour if you can't. No one can spend an hour if you have not practiced and then, some of you guys might not even find that enjoyable, right? It's hard. You, I mean, you want to. You know that this is the right thing to do. And your heart of heart says, I probably need this. I really need this. But the discipline to actually make it happen is hard. So all, the, the daily office that you practice is very simple. Before you even wake up, you, I know you open your eyes in the morning and you're fighting your alarm clock. All you need to do as a daily office, as a beginning process, I'll show you. It's very simple. Just sit there and say, Lord, thank you that my eyes have opened today and I didn't die in my sleep. May this day be an honor to you. And then get up and brush your teeth. Do what you got to do, right? But a daily office, all it means is this. You're inviting God into your space. You're being aware of his presence in your life, morning, noon, night. It's not just one-time deal like, okay, I got that now, but you're inviting him in there. For some people, I promise you, as you practice your daily office, one minute, 10 minutes is not going to be enough. You're going to want to spend more time. Sometimes you practice your daily office. After a while, you, you, you know, the saints of all will spend that all morning being with God because that's how precious, how beautiful that time is. You don't have to get there yet. You, if you're not there, you're not there yet. Okay? I told the youth kids, do one minute if you can't have two, right? But take that time and invite them into that space. When you're driving, Instead of listening to talk radio and all that crazy stuff that's on there or listening to some random music, put on something that's actually inviting them into that space with you, right? Spend that time before you go to bed or when you're at, at home before you sleep. Invite him into that space. Be silent with him, a daily office. The whole point of this, as we end this, this journey and this, this whole picture, Okay. Don't live off of someone else's spirituality. Don't just say you're going to pray and not pray. Don't just say I trust the Bible and never actually read the Bible. Don't say I know God because I serve God. Be a person that recognizes 
how much you need him. To see the reality of how big he is in your that he is sovereign over your life. Develop the consistency, right, of having a crew before your crisis. Seeking with all your heart above everything else, right, making everything you do a God issue. Don't try to separate life, but make it a God issue into your life. How do I honor God in this area? And then keep your office with him. Keep your daily office with him as you seek to meet with him. And I pray, guys, as a church, until, I know you get it up here. I know you get it. Again, you're smart. You need to bring it to here. The bridge from here to here, it's only when you recognize, when you recognize that Christ came to save you, to make sure that your life is transformed into the life that you were meant to have. That he gave his life to ensure that. That this chase that you're living in, it's all up here. You, 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 never, you never fulfilled in here because you're, fine, you're constantly running after things that, you're never, that, that never satisfies until you recognize that Christ is himself the only thing that can satisfy. You take what you've learned and you bring it here. And then from here to here, the discipline of life. This takes a daily rule for your life that you have to keep for this to happen. Have a rule of life and stick to it. Let's pray.